Good to see all of you this morning. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, beginning at verse 14. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. Before we get into the message, just some reminders to our church family here this morning, just to keep you all informed. The church picnic is coming up on Saturday, October the 22nd, which is now less than two weeks away. And we, I think we have the greatest venue for a church picnic of any church. You know, top of the world, Robert and Dana's place out there is just an awesome place to have a getaway. And we invite all of you that can make it that Saturday to be out there. The information's out there. We encourage you to sign up because we need to know how many people to plan for because the church will provide the, the meat, the main, you know, uh, meats of the day, a barbecue. But we want you to fill in with other things on the side. So don't forget to sign up, go out and see Debbie about that after the service is over. Then don't forget about our men's and women's Bible studies here through the Oasis ministry. Uh, the men's is always every Saturday morning and Woody would love to see more guys out for that. And then uh, the women took a little bit of a break, but they are starting back up again on Thursday, October the 20th, which is coming up real soon. And uh, they're going to have a follow-up to the Armor of God study, and it's going to be on having or how to have a settled heart in troubled times, which I think will be a great follow-up to that uh, series. So we invite you all. They had a great turnout for their other series. We would love to see the same. And then one more thing. We are going to have an Oasis Day of Prayer through our ministry on Friday, November the 4th. Uh, I don't think we've done this before. We used to do it at our home church years ago. Uh, But I think it's something that I would like to start doing at the Oasis. And really what it is, is it will start at at midnight, if you will, uh, Thursday evening or 12 a.m. Friday morning, however you want to look at it. And go all the way through the whole day on Friday till midnight on Friday, the 4th. And what we have done is divided up that 24-hour period into half-hour segments, okay? And each half-hour segment has obviously several places that you could sign up. And what we're, our goal is, is to get somebody from our church to be praying during that whole 24-hour period. And this time, we're obviously, because we strategically picked that day, we want to concentrate on praying for our nation, our country, the upcoming election, which will just be in a couple days after that, and just the whole state of of our nation and country and our leaders and all of that. So that will be on Friday, November the 4th. So the sign-up sheet is out there. We have a little uh, table now devoted sort of our prayer ministry. We even have some books out there that if you're interested in studying about prayer more and getting to know more about prayer, we have some recommendations for you out there as well. So anyway, I hope that made sense to you. Uh, And for those of you that, you know, uh, obviously if you, you work on Friday during the day, probably signing up for a middle of the night shift would not be good for you. Uh, But don't worry, we'll have those middle-of-the-night shifts covered even if I have to stay up and cover them myself. I am all willing to do that, okay? Uh, Because I understand what I'm asking of some of you. But some of you, you may may be a middle-of-the-night person. 
So uh, that may not be too, too much for you. All right. We're coming today, the passage that I'm speaking on today is actually one of my favorite passages in the whole New Testament. I just, I go back to this passage quite often, primarily because Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus about the glory of the church, because it is in the church that we are to see the glory of God. And obviously as a pastor of a local church, that that resonates with me. I want to be part of something in my life that has meaning. And Paul is saying that if we do church right, and if we are the Christians that God calls us to be, we can be part of something that not only has meaning here, but will actually have meaning for us throughout eternity. Think about that. To be part of something that can have meaning throughout the ages to come. So notice in verse 14, Paul starts out this passage by saying again these three words, for this reason. Again, which going back to last week is a hinge both backward and forward. It's sweeping back saying, let's take into consideration what we've already talked about and then let's sweep into what I'm going to talk about today. And so he's been talking to us again about the church This unbelievable new entity that God created after Christ came and did his work and then ascended back to heaven. And it's where God is calling all these different people from all these different places to come together in local assemblies like this one, the Oasis, and to come together on a regular basis to worship him and to fellowship together and to grow together. And that this is what God is building right now on the earth. He is building his church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And Paul has said, isn't it amazing that God is calling Jew and Gentile, people that despised each other and hated each other, to be part of his body together? It doesn't matter what backgrounds we come from, what nations we come from, what cultures we come from. All of that should dissolve, if you will, in the, into Jesus Christ. And that, that he can make us one through him. And so there's that amazing thought. And then in chapter 3, verse 10, we've been talking about since the beginning of this uh, study, that God also wants to use the church, the local churches, to be a university for angels in heaven. That God can teach His angels in heaven about Himself through the church. That even though these angels have been in the presence of God ever since they were created, they, they have worshipped God. They, they are up close to God even more than we are at this point. That there are still things about God that they could not learn apart from looking at the church and how God uh, operates in the church, how He uses the church, and, and what He's accomplishing in these frail, feeble, finite human beings, you see. And so Paul is saying, that's why for this reason... I kneel before my father, verse 14. And though he's going to go on to say that this is his chosen posture at this particular time to pray to God about something and to ask for some specific things for this local church in Ephesus, let's not forget that this form of kneeling before God or bowing before God or bending the knee before God is also sort of a posture of worship. 
And that before he actually gets into making requests in prayer, he's really overcome by the greatness of this great plan that God has revealed to him. It's almost like he's saying, I've, I've got to stop for a minute. And before I even keep, keep speaking and talking to you about what's on my heart, God, for these uh, fellow believers in Ephesus, I've just got to stop and just acknowledge, my goodness, God, you are great. To, to think about what you're doing here on earth and, and what you want to accomplish through us, your people. It's just, it's a time for me to pause and kneel before my father in heaven. And then he goes on in verse 15 to say, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I think again, in the context here, he's not talking about every human being who's ever been born or every family on earth that's ever existed. He's talking here about our spiritual family. Because notice he says, in heaven and on earth. He's talking about those who know the Lord, those who have a relationship with the Lord. He's talking about our spiritual family, the church, represented in heaven and on earth. And you and I even get that. Because even here at the Oasis, in our young existence, we've only been in existence now six and a half years, we now have part of our church family represented in heaven now and on earth, you see. And that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about God's people, the church. And then he goes on to now begin to tell God what is on his heart, what requests he has for his, his fellow believers in Ephesus. And again, I want to point out that when you study the prayers of Paul, particularly in the New Testament, he is always praying for the same things. It's always about the spiritual health and well-being and growth of God's people. It's not that he doesn't care about the physical needs of his fellow believers, but he is showing that, that we so often can get out of balance in our prayer life and that our prayer lists and our praying for others, especially our Christian friends and Christian family members, it seems to be always more lopsided with talking to God about the physical things than the spiritual things. And Paul is a great example to us that we need to make sure that we bring balance to our requests, especially when we're praying for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that it is just important, if not more important, to be praying for the spiritual health, well-being, and growth of our brothers and sisters as it is any physical needs that they might have. And again, we see that modeled for us here in... Paul's prayer. Are you praying for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you know of other brothers and sisters in Christ who are regularly praying for you? It's important. And again, Paul models that for us here. And here's what Paul, first of all, prays for. He prays for their spiritual power. He prays that the people in the church at Ephesus may have the spiritual power power of God. He says, I pray that according, first of all, to the wealth of your glory, God, the abundance of your majesty. We just sang about that majesty, the majesty of God, the glory of God is God's infinite and intrinsic worth. It is who God is always. It is a fixed value that never changes. God being God, is worthy 
worthy and he is glorious and he is majestic. And Paul is saying, I am coming to the God of the universe and I am praying to you, God, for their spiritual power according to the abundance, the fullness of your majesty, your glory, who you are. Because Paul understands that by praying to this God, the God that he acknowledges and recognizes that is above all, he knows that this God could grant these requests. And in fact, he's the only one that could. Which is one of the reasons why it should motivate us to pray. So often, we forfeit the one that can really change us or change our circumstances or change things by failing to go to the God of the universe and we go to everything and anything else but. Let's not forget that the God that we pray to is the God that has a wealth of glory attached to him. And then he says, I want you, God, to to listen to this. Would you grant to these believers in Ephesus to be strengthened with power through your spirit in the inner person? Would you make them strong, God? Would you give them strength, God? Would you help them to increase in strength? Give them this supernatural power that can only come through your spirit that lives within them. In other words, he's saying, God, empower them through your Holy Spirit who lives within them. At the very core of their being, their heart. Because if they're strong here at their inner core then God, they'll be able to deal with, handle, navigate anything that comes their way. Spiritual power. And he is praying for the church to be filled with this spiritual power. And he's praying for, obviously, then every individual person that goes to that church at Ephesus to be filled with that spiritual power because we desperately need God's power in our lives. And we need to be humble enough and willing to be strengthened with a power from God outside of ourselves. So often, even as Christians, we seek to sort of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And we seek to sort of summon the strength that is within us as human beings to be able to deal with life. The problem is that we are finite human beings. We are frail human beings. We do not sometimes acknowledge how weak we are simply as human beings without God's help. Therefore, when we begin to try to summon up a strength within ourselves for life, we find very quickly that we get to the end of that strength. That strength, that human strength that we have as human beings only goes so far, only can handle so much. But obviously the strength of God can handle anything. And so he's saying, would you be willing to allow God's strength to come in and exert itself from outside of you? To to let God's strength bubble up within you through his Holy Spirit that lives within you and have this power that is so desperately needed. And if it was ever needed, it's needed in the church and in God's people today. Because we realize later on in the New Testament that Paul even says that one of the characteristics of the last days are that there will be many people who have an outward form of godliness or religion, but they have no spiritual power in their lives. 
They try to sort of promote themselves as godly spiritual by, by concentrating on making sure that the externals in their life are all the, the boxes that they need to check. Because they sort of have hung around the Bible long enough and God's people and the church long enough to know what a spiritual person should look like on the outside. So you sort of can fake it, if you will. But remember, Paul says, I'm praying that they will allow your power to hit them at their very heart, at their very core, in the inner person. Because again, you and I can put on some kind of spiritual power facade on the outside, but again, that only goes so far. If that power of God does not reside and really take over the inner person, then we really don't have much power. Because all the power that we try to summon again within us as human beings or that we try to sort of make up outside of ourselves externally doesn't last very long or can't sustain us very long. And so Paul is saying, I want God's people to be spiritually powerful people. That should be a priority of our lives. That we as Christians do whatever we can in our lives to make sure that we are spiritually empowered people and that God's spirit is powerfully working in and through us both individually and obviously here in the context of Ephesians 3 corporately God wants to see when his people come together his power is there it is operating it is present it is working in and through his church so many churches today, local churches, concentrate and focus on so many other things. But how many of us as local churches and as God's people are focusing on making sure that we are becoming spiritually powerful people? And that we are allowing God to strengthen us supernaturally with His power through His Spirit in the inner person. That's the first request. Then the second request is for their spiritual passion. Notice Paul then goes on to say in verse 17, I'm also praying God that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. So that they will be rooted and grounded in your love for them. So that they will be able to even begin to comprehend what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of your love for them. And thus to begin to know that love that surpasses even human knowledge. First of all, let's go back to the beginning of verse 17. When Paul says, I'm praying God for my fellow believers in Ephesus, that Christ would dwell in their hearts. The word dwell means to settle down, to be at home at. And not that for the Christian that somehow Christ isn't in us at all times, but it's more of a, looking at it this way, that Christ would rule in our hearts. That Christ would be the primary influencer of our desire producer that really drives all the decisions we make. Because that's what the heart is from the Bible. Every time the word heart is used in the New Testament, it is never used in the Bible to describe the human heart organ that pumps blood. Never. Never used in the physical way. 
It is always used to describe the concept of the heart being that place where our passions, our emotions, and our desires come from. And so Paul is saying, God, I'm also praying that Christ would rule in their heart. That that they would allow him to be the primary influence of their life. All that they desire, all that they choose, all of their... So that... And then he goes on to say, through faith. Because Paul understands that unless we come to a place where we truly trust and have confidence that God knows best... (laughs) and that God always has our best interest at heart, then we won't let Christ rule in our hearts. We won't ever let him totally settle down and dwell there. He'll be that sort of occasional visitor that we allow to come in every once in a while and maybe steer this or steer that. But to be the everyday sort of ruler of our heart and primary influencer, no, we'll let other things primarily influence our decisions and choices. And maybe most of the time, if we're honest, We're the ones that call the shots in our life, not Christ. We end up doing the things that we want to do. We do not choose the things that Christ would want us to do. And that's really what Paul's praying for. Because Paul is saying that when you and I as believers let Christ rule our heart, we let him become the primary influencer over our heart, which again is our desire producer that drives all the decisions and choices in life that we make. Then he said, then God's priorities for our life will become our priority. It's a way where God begins to shape our heart to match his. And the things that are important to God will become important to us. And the people important to God will become important to us. And things like the church will become more of a priority because it's a priority to God. And we'll let God rule our heart, you see. Well, then obviously what comes from that is our spiritual passion. We we will get excited and enthusiastic about the things that God has for us. Because we're not trying to say, God, this is where I want to steer my life and this is the direction I want to go and these are the choices and decisions I want to make. We let those up to the ruler of our heart, Christ, and we let him dwell and settle down and be at home in our heart. So that every day, not just once a week or once a month or once a year, we let Christ lead us. We let him rule over that desire producer that drives all the decisions and choices. Now, again, that has to be through faith. Because if I don't trust Jesus with my heart, if I don't have confidence in Jesus over my life, then I'm going to take that on myself or I'm going to allow other people to primarily influence me rather than Jesus. So what a great prayer. He says, I want God's people in Ephesus to be spiritually powerful and I want them to be spiritually passionate. And then notice the result of our spiritual passion. Paul says, when you and I as Christians truly let Jesus rule in our lives and rule over our hearts, then and only then will we really begin to comprehend the love that God has for us. Because otherwise, we start filling our lives with all other things and choices and decisions because we really have not come to a place where we are settled in God's love and where God is enough for us. 
So because God is not enough for us and we start choosing to try to fill our lives with all these other things, we then really block the reception that we could have of God's love in our life. Because in a sense, we are going after other things other than simply God. Which is why I love this when he says, if you and I would allow Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith, then we will become rooted and grounded in his love. So many Christians today are not rooted and grounded. They're not settled in God's love. You know how we know that? Because they're restless. They're wandering from thing to thing. They, they go after this thing and then that doesn't last. And then they go after this thing and it's always the next thing. There's, there's never a settledness. There's never a stability. See, when you and I come and we let God love us because we have settled it and we say, God, you are the love of my life, then everything begins to settle down in our lives. We don't need to run after anything because we've already got the greatest thing we could ever have. And that's God and his love for us. And we become settled, stable human beings like never before. So many Christians, sad to say, are not rooted and grounded in love because they've never really let Christ over the long haul of their life dwell in their hearts through faith. And then he says, when you and I do that also... We will begin to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know this love that God has for us that surpasses knowledge. What Paul is saying is, look, you and I will never be able to completely grasp or wrap our minds around God's love for us. But we can get to a place where we can accept it and receive it, even though we might not understand that God has chosen to love us, even though he knows everything about us. I can't necessarily understand why, God, you do that. But God, I accept it and I receive your love. That's what Paul is saying here. And I want to give you an illustration that God gave to me last week. And it's not adequate because there's nothing that could be adequate. But the most vast thing on planet Earth that we know of is the ocean. So take yourself for just a minute. Imagine yourself going out into the middle, say, of the Pacific Ocean. In the deepest part of the ocean. And imagine yourself even there being able to relax instead of being all uptight about, you know, drowning. Or what sea creature might come up and get me. Not for this illustration. Go to the deepest part of the ocean. Be able to just literally lay back and float in the middle of that ocean. And then as you float around, you begin to look around at that ocean. And no matter what direction you look at, you can't come to the end of that. You can't see the end of that vast expanse of water. In a tiny way, that's how God wants us to begin to understand his love for us. No matter what direction you look, and in this case, it's not just the linear. In this case, Paul's saying, I don't care what direction you look at, how far you look up, how far you look down, how far you look this way or that way. You and I can never see the end of God's love for us. Yeah. 
But he says, God will give you the strength to be able to receive his love for you and to accept it. And when that happens, that puts us on a whole different level of our spiritual life. We begin to have such a spiritual passion in our lives, a burning fire that cannot be put out. Because the more we understand and comprehend the love that God has for us experientially, because we're walking in that love every day, because God is ruling our heart and he is driving our spiritual passion, the more than passionate we are. It's like this never-ending circle that just keeps feeding itself. The more I let Christ rule in my life, the more I understand how much He loves me and the more that I want Him to rule in my life and and the more I want to go after the things of God in my life. And again, it, it ignites this spiritual passion that cannot be extinguished. That's how Paul could live the kind of Christian life that he did. And that's what he wants for these people, his dear brothers and sisters in Ephesus. He wants that church in Ephesus to be filled with people who have spiritual power and spiritual passion for God. And then in verse 3, or excuse me, the third point, the third request of Paul, he also wants them to be filled with their spiritual prosperity. He says in verse 19, And thus to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that they may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Filled up. Full of God. To know the spiritual prosperity that we have. He says, what would it be like to have churches full of spiritual power, full of spiritual passion, and full of God? Well, in order for us to be filled up with God, it means we got to empty our lives of all this other stuff. Because many times what happens is we fill our lives with all this other stuff that we think is going to fulfill and satisfy us. And then there's no room for God. God says, why don't you fill your life up with me first? Let me pervade every nook and cranny of your being, of your soul, of your spirit. Let me get into every crevice of your life. And I guarantee you, God said, if you fill yourself up with me, there won't be any room for anything else and you won't need anything else. You'll find all you need is me and that I will bring a meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction to your life that no one or nothing else can. Be full of God, Paul said. And let's go back to the ocean for a moment. Because God is infinite and you and I are finite, Paul is not saying that you and I as finite human beings can somehow get all of God into our lives. We never will. Even in our glorified state, because we'll never be God, we'll never be able to take in all of God. No way. God is always going to be infinite. And we, even in our glorified state, will in some ways be finite, you see. But what Paul is saying is this. In our finite way, you and I can all take our little bucket that represents our life. And we can all go to the edge of this vast ocean that represents God. Again, a very poor illustration because God is so much bigger than any ocean on earth. But for our imaginations and illustration this morning, go with me. 
Take that little bucket that represents you and take it into the ocean and let that huge ocean fill up that bucket. That's what Paul's saying. We'll never be able to get all of God into us, but we certainly can fill up our lives with God. The vastness that is God can fill up our bucket and we can be full of God. And we can have such spiritual prosperity that I've got everything I need because I'm full of God. And then Paul goes on to say this. He said, when churches and the people of God begin to, begin to have the spiritual power and the spiritual passion and the spiritual prosperity that is theirs in God, it's just waiting for them to be able to, to have. God wants us to have these things. Paul said, then we create a supernatural climate both in our churches and in our lives. That's almost irresistible. It's like then we begin to see God do supernatural things in and through us. And the more we see that, the more we want it. It, it, it draws us like a magnet, just like in a church. When God's people in local churches, when they begin to operate in God's spiritual power, in God's spiritual passion, and in God's spiritual prosperity, we literally create a supernatural environment or climate where God begins to just work in unbelievable ways. And that's what Paul says in verse 20. Don't miss this. This is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. This verse, and I'm going to share this with you in just a moment. This verse illustrates the sevenfold measure of God's power in our lives. Because don't miss what Paul says. After he said all this, he says, Now to him who by the power that is, don't miss these next words, working where? Within us is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. Contemplate that for a moment. Let me give you an exercise to go through that I hope you will remember this coming week. God gave this to me several weeks ago. I want, after I say this once, I want you to repeat this with me, but hold in there just for a moment. First of all, notice in chapter 3, verse 20, that Paul says this, God is able. Do you believe that God is able today? God is able. First. Then notice, God is able to do. Then notice, God is able to do what we ask. Then God is able to do what we think. Then God is able to do all that we ask or think. Then God is able to do beyond all that we ask or think. And finally, God is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. The sevenfold measure of God's power in our lives. Repeat it with me. God is able. God is able to do. God is able to do what we ask. God is able to do what we think. God is able to do all that we ask or think. God is able to do beyond all that we ask or think. God is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. Do you believe that? 
You see, that's the supernatural climate God wants to, to, to build into our lives individually and us corporately. That's why this whole process that we're going through, even as a church, has nothing to do with buildings. It has everything to do with us learning this principle as a church, that God can go way beyond what we could ask or think. And God wants us to get that even in our individual lives. We so limit what God wants to do in and through us. And you know why? Because we're not operating in His spiritual power. We're not operating with spiritual passion. We're not operating with the spiritual prosperity that could be ours in the fullness of God. And therefore, we limit the supernatural climate and the miracles and the workings and and all that God wants to do in our lives and in us corporately. Oh, that the church would become the church. Because notice verse 21. When this happens, then Paul says, then there can be glory. Glory for Him. Where? In the church. And in Christ Jesus. To all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory in the church. To see God for who He is. Not to see what human beings can do, but to see what only God can do. To see His power. To see His passion. To see His prosperity in His people. To set themselves up such a spiritual, supernatural climate that we not only know that God can do this, but we come anticipating and expecting God to do unbelievable great things in our lives all the time. We've lost that in the church today. Because we've lost what Paul's prayed for in many churches and in many Christians' lives today. We're trying to live our lives in our own power. We're trying to drum up our own heart and our heart goes after so many other things other than letting Christ rule in our hearts and we forget how filled up we could be in God that we fill our lives with so many other things. And we miss out. And then we wonder. See, when the church operates the way it should by God's design, it will actually be irresistible. That's another reason why we know this isn't happening In most places today. Because when the church becomes this kind of church, it will literally be irresistible to people. People won't be able to stay away. Because if nothing else, there will be this insatiable curiosity about what is going on there. What's up with those people? That's the way it was in the book of Acts. That's why the first century church was irresistible. That's why people were flocking to it and wanting to be a part of it, no matter what it cost them, no matter what price they paid for it. Because it was this irresistible force that God had created in this entity called the church where His power, His passion, His prosperity lived every day. And where there was a supernatural climate where all the time the people of God saw God do what they were asking, what they were thinking, and even far beyond what they ever asked or thought. And when that happens, that's when God is seen for who He really is in His people. Let's pray. God, would we remove those walls and barriers between us and You today? 
Would we allow you, God, to work in us the way you really want to work? God, you have a destiny. You have a purpose. You have a plan for our lives. And so often, God, we limit what you want to do, what you desire to do. We don't really believe you're able. We might believe that you're able to do unbelievable things in other people's lives or other churches, with other churches, with other groups of believers, but not with us. But that's, that's not the proper mindset. God, you want to work in every one of your children this way. Not just certain ones. You want to work in every believer this way. You want to work in every local church this way. You want your glory to be seen all over this world. In the church. So God, may we here at the Oasis be a people that go after you like never before. That we, God, are full of your strength and power. Full of your passion for the things that are that you're passionate about full of the prosperity that only God you can fill us with. And then God, we will see unbelievable supernatural things take place in our lives and in the life of our church. To him who is able to do far beyond all that we ask or think. To you, God, be glory in the church. God, may this song that we are about to sing be an invitation from us, your people, to you to say, God, we believe. Our our hope is in you. We're going to let you, God, shape our destiny and our future and where we go and what you do with our lives. We're going to give our lives over to you. We're going to let you work in and through us like never before, God. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me?